I'm ready. This is Geek Gab with your host, Dornall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, November 14th, 2020. And we have like seven weeks left. Seven weeks, it's almost over. <laughs> uh, always assuming that, that this year actually ends. Whew, the the ride never ends, DW, but the, oh. the, the calendar year will change, but the ride never ends. Oh, man. I'm just, I am so seriously putting all my hopes, all my eggs in the basket of 2021 being more normal than this year. Uh, I, I don't know that that's going to happen, though. We'll see. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of excited about it. That might just be the caffeine talking, though. It is a cozy autumn day in the Pacific Northwest. We got roughly one hour of sunshine at dawn, and it looks like it's going to be clouds for the rest of the day. So, Oh, it, it's cold as hell here. Get yourself a warm beverage. Hang out with us. <laughs> I... Uh... I am once again wrapped up in a blanket because I, I'm tired of the cold. <laughs> well, uh, this is a good day to be indoors then. Um, I want to say hi to everybody listening and shout outs to everyone in the chat. I, I haven't done this before, so I'm going to try this out. Simon Hogwood, hey, what's up? Ardenon's here with us. Fiona Wolf, Bradford of Seawalker, as usual. Good to see you, sir. Matthew Martin and Jackson Anderson. Hey, guys. Uh, I'm, we've got a lively chat today. Speaking of chat, Daddy Warpig, how yeah. was how was your week? Um, I'm trying to remember most of my week. <laughs> uh, thing is, when I don't do big things that make each day memorable. Mm -hmm. There's not like a lot of scheduled big days. There's just consistent work every day. Uh, and so I read, I watch videos on YouTube that are about the stuff, you know, gaming news or, uh, analysis of movies or interesting topics that I come across, whatever. Um, and then I'm always working on projects. And, uh, and so there, it's, it's hard to say if it's a good week or a bad week. I'm, I'm always making pro uh, progress on things. I'm always taking notes. I'm always developing things. And so things are moving along. That makes it a good week. I'm always happy about progress. But I, mean, I can't point to something and say, well, here's a story about this because I don't have any stories. Oh. Uh, it's just, hey, I'm... I've got this big, huge mountain to move, and I'm moving it one pebble at a time, and 
I moved a couple of backpacks of pebbles this week. <laughs> I'm actually quite glad to hear that you're happy with your progress. Uh, but I have moved several backpacks of pebbles and, uh, you know, big chunks of the mountain have been missing uh, or are missing. And so, you know, it's a good thing. I'm satisfied with the progress. Um, that's not, a, I mean, how, hmm? what else can you do with life if you're working on a big project except report everything's going well? Consistent work. Uh, are you, do you relax on the weekend or are you going to, after, after the show, are you going to buckle down and do more work? I'm always working. You're working now, nonstop working. Yeah. One might say you are hustling every day. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm never not working. Uh, even when I stop to play a video game or stop to watch a, you know, TV show or something, I'm always mulling things over in my mind. And, you know, if I get an idea in the middle of the show, I hit pause and take a note and get back on doing what I was doing. Fair. I wish I had something more in depth to say about that, but I don't. I don't really... And none of this stuff I'm doing do I want to talk about right now because I want it to be fully formed and a surprise when it's done and ready to go. Sounds like a good surprise. I, I tell you what, I, I've had uh, a similarly difficult week. But uh, a couple of interesting things happened, and I'm not going to go into the full story, but uh, we're having a, a reset in our weekly Dungeons & Dragons game, which is kind of an interesting story. Uh, we put together an online game earlier this year when all the lockdowns happened. There were a few of us who were really hurting for social time. And uh, we replaced our tabletop nights with some online nights. We talked about Roll20 and stuff months ago. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so we had an interesting revelation, which was uh, amidst some personality conflicts at the table, player styles were sort of, you know, rubbing each other the wrong way. Uh, we discovered that the game we had started didn't really suit the players. And now that we're in this sort of, where everybody's sort of used to the social situation and, and used to playing online, we all kind of came to the realization, hey, we should play a different type of role-playing game or a different type of Dungeons & Dragons game. One that's better suited to the players at the table. Uh, and I can hear Jeffro tearing his hair out right now. I know, I know. But 
it's it's just a nice reminder that it is important to think about what your players like and the dungeon master did something really interesting really helpful he says okay let's restart and i'm going to ask you guys what you like or what you prefer in a game and he gave us like five categories right of of things that people like about rpgs whether it's combat or um role-playing in character or whatever um there were five categories and he just said rank them and he got all the players rankings and 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 put put them all together and said okay based on based on the overall rankings i got from all you guys i think this type of campaign he uh he he settled on a mega dungeon style he said you know i think this style of campaign is going to be the best for everybody i think everybody can get into this so instead of you know running this fantastic setting and uh, it's a shame because the game we paused was excellent it was very very fun and interesting but now that all of us have been playing for months together and we're sort of used to each other's personalities and, and, and we understand the way each other, we all work, taking a step back and saying, okay, so what, how do we optimize what you guys like in a game? Uh, and that's an interesting, it was, it was an interesting exercise. No, Matthew Martin asks, not adopting the one game, one setting, one campaign vision of Watsi. I bet you're tongue in cheek there, but I'll answer that. I have absolutely no faith in the uh, designers at Watsi. Uh, fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons is a fun game to play, but uh, I've played through the Curse of Strahd module and it was all right. Um, I had really good, it was a novice game master actually, a really good game master who had to make massive tweaks to it just so that we would enjoy it. Um, and someone asked me about running the Dungeon of the Mad Mage, the uh, fifth edition remake of a classic Forgotten Realms module from, I think, 91. And uh, and this is the infamous one where the, uh, the woke Seattle uh, influence, uh, heavily influenced the writing in the module. And uh, so not only had they made functional changes for no obvious reason, but then the all the fluff and extra writings just made me roll my eyes and groan in my seat. So I set that aside and said, uh, as usual, use all the modules and maps and things that you can find, everything that you can scrounge up. But uh, you know, make your world your own. Make it make it your own world. Don't uh, don't go along with whatever they're selling you. Well, what I've never heard this one game, one setting, one campaign thing. Um, I don't know if they've described it officially, but they, yeah, um, Matthew Martin's added something to that. Wizards pushing towards uniformity of mechanics and setting, bringing as much possible into a shared experience and organized play. Sure, but organized play has been around forever. Even in 
you know, the old Gen Con days, the famously the RPGA would always have convention events with hundreds of people playing the same module. Um, oh, clarified, yes, they haven't used that phrasing. Uh, very, very edgy of you, sir. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, uh, they're, they, you know, the but they have made it into sort of a lifestyle brand in addition to a game. And as I said, I, I think the game is okay. It's it's a fun game, but yeah, you've got all the all the splat books are nearly explicitly same universe. Uh, they they finally got around to rolling in Magic the Gathering lore, um, cashing in on the popularity of Acquisitions Incorporated, Penny Arcades, uh, you know, celebrity convention game get those guys in right well they've got a source book for that uh plus and this is a really cool idea re-releasing all the a lot of old modules right of course they've been modernized and tweaked and and of course um i already mentioned curse of strahd which is a redo of the ravenloft module castle ravenloft i don't know I I don't I don't understand this uh, objection. Not uh, also things like making the race options more samey. I don't know. I I've been playing since AD and D Second Edition. As far as I'm concerned, everything's been samey ever since. Uh, when in AD and D they separated the concept of the character's race from the character's class. Uh, all the demi-humans just turned into funny-looking humans. You're just, you know, I'm I'm gonna play a, I'm gonna play a fighter with these cool racial abilities. All right, just like playing World of Warcraft. Uh, so, oh, we're we're just pontificating on role-playing games and Dungeons and Dragons, as usual. Anyway, uh, that's that's an interesting experience. Uh, I've also been playing a couple of more futuristic type games. That's a that's a nice palate cleanser from all the fantasy fare. What do you think of the uh, What do you think of the classic traveler so far? Got him. I did not know going into Classic Traveler that it was roll up your character, get all the skills that you got, and then everything stays the same permanently. That's all you would ever have in a character. That your skills would never change. That... Uh, basically all you would have is gear to give you new capabilities. And even that is only capabilities that, you know, a radio would logically give you or a rifle. Um, I mean, even in like old school 
AD&D or D&D or whatever, you still level up and your attributes don't change, which is fine. I'm not complaining about that, but you know, for fighters, your uh, to hit bonus goes up um, and your attacks per round go up. For wizards, you you know, you can find new spells. Uh, so you do get better at things. For for thieves, your uh, abilities percentages go up, things like that. And maybe they go up slowly and you have a high chance to die, but you do get better or can get better in things. But in Traveler, you know, your skills are your skills and that's it forever. And that's okay. But we're so used to the character growth, that personal character growth, which is, I mean, maybe this is just hindsight speaking, considering how old the game is. That's one of the most engaging and compelling aspects of playing an RPG. Uh, it's so compelling that in uh, video games and computer games, they've folded level ups into just about any other, every other type of game conceivable between the battle arenas like Dota 2, where you, you, you enjoy the climb from level 1 to 20 every game, and uh, shooters where you get more accuracy and damage or higher jumps by leveling up, uh, but through play. It's, it's one of the most interesting and compelling things, and, and it was strange, wasn't it, to realize, hey, my, my main goal here is not increase all these numbers on my character sheet except for maybe your bank account number really strange but good just maybe not compelling in the way that we're used to here's the thing I want to keep playing the game because mm -hmm. I don't know if I like it or dislike it uh and I'm not talking about on a personal basis. I'm talking about on a game design basis, on a doctrinal basis. If slow or no character advancement is the right thing to do, I just want to keep on playing until I get a better handle on it and see what I think about that. Uh, or, or see, you know, what I think about, okay, what kind of game does that suit? What kind of game does that, does that feel better for? I already think that the odds are really, really poorly built for the conceptual idea of what one skill point uh, is supposed to be. Uh, I mean, with everything being like, it's an eight, right? That's your pass-fail. Sure. 
You roll 2d6, and you get an 8, and that's when you succeed. 8 or better. And four years of experience in a job gives you plus 1. So that's a pass-fail of 7 or better. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the that's the big half of the bill curve. And that seems to me to be... Too much emphasis too, on luck, not enough emphasis on expertise. Yeah, especially in a game where you never increase your skills. If you've had four years of experience in a job, I don't think you're going to be failing that often. Either that or, you know, game masters who are used to calling for skill checks more often because of modern games um, should be calling for them a lot less often. I agree with that. I think both are, uh, both statements are true. Think about it. when, And this is years ago when they developed the third edition D&D. They implemented a rule that said, hey, if the take 10 rule, if you think you're skilled enough to make the check, you don't have to roll, right? They they made it a formal rule in the game that, uh, which used to be common sense, just, you know, you don't have to roll so much. But people like rolling dice, and uh, particularly in, in games since then, it's all about making skill checks for everything. And as everybody has discovered at one point or another adding a skill check to a situation that's not interesting can't make it interesting yes <laughs> and i think traveler the way it was designed kind of assumes that a lot of the things we roll for in in modern games, and by modern, I'm going all the way back to the 1990s. Right. Uh, or even late 1980s, like Shadowrun and Torg and uh, games of that era. Um, so like 1988, 1989, 1990, I'm including anything from there on. Um I think they assume that those are things that you're just supposed to role play out. You're not supposed to roll for. Right. I think you're right. And that's why they don't have skills for. Um, And that's another difficulty when you're playing the game is the game doesn't have skills for that because it doesn't contemplate skills for that, which is why the skill list feels incomplete is because things that we're used to having skills for, it just doesn't because it never occurred to the people who built the original Traveler. And we're playing the original, original Traveler, the three black box Traveler. Oh, yeah. Um, it's compiled into wooden books, so maybe there were a few things corrected, but 
Um, from what uh, our game master Brian said, they were more interested in transferring it over exactly than in correcting even the most obvious of of flaws in the text. Like even even blatantly obvious uh, blatantly obvious typos they didn't even correct. Um, so sad. It's, it's uh, it was built. It was designed under a whole list of different assumptions that aren't in the text and aren't immediately obvious to uh, to people who are used to later games. And I'm having to, like, infer as we go along playing. Uh, I'm thinking, oh, okay, so there really is nothing in the rules or even implied in the rules to cover that situation. They must mean us to be, us as players, to just role play that out. They must not mean us to roll for it at all. And it's kind of strange to try and, uh, the term is winkle out uh, in Britain. Uh, it just means to, uh, to pick out or to identify or to uh, figure out. Um, what they assumed you should already know because those were just self-evident assumptions in the gaming culture they came from when they wrote Traveler. Um, so. Traveler did hit on something that was interesting it was one of the, it was probably the game that introduced the idea of a universal resolution mechanic, which is part of the problem. In, in old versions of D&D, different systems had different dice throws and mechanics, and sometimes you want to roll high and sometimes you want to roll low. Yeah, that's frustrating sometimes, but when it came time for the DM to make a ruling, he'd think about what the situation was and then call for whatever check seemed most appropriate. Like, hmm, I'm not sure how this would work. You should roll your dexterity, you know? And uh, Traveler is a universal system where just about every roll on a table or otherwise is done with two dice. Uh, which, first of all, it's great because then all you need to, to play Traveler is a sheet of notebook paper and cannibalize the two dice from your Monopoly set. <laughs> on the other hand here's the problem and this is this is not news to anybody who's played uh, RPGs in the past 40 years when you have that sort of universal resolution mechanic uh, and you plug that in it's so easy to plug in when you need to make a ruling hmm, I'm not sure how that's going to work why don't you roll two dice and add your dexterity right okay great then everything feels the same. Um, which is my biggest um, criticism of 
the universal resolution mechanic. Anyway, I'm not sure what I'm not sure how much that impacts your experience with Traveler, but it's uh, it came to mind when you were talking about the weirdness with skill ups. I mean, I I want to. I'm enjoying our Traveler campaign. Oh yeah, um, I'm enjoying it a lot. Uh, there's just some. I'm trying to understand it more than just on a surface level. I'm trying to understand it from a design standpoint. Like, why did they make this decision? Why did they make that decision? Um, why is this part of the game not working how I expected it to? So I haven't said anything to our game master about, you know, not advancing because I'm not asking him to change it. I don't want him to change it. Uh, I want to continue playing under it because I want to get to understand how the game works as written. Um, I would rather understand how Traveler works as written than change any of it just so uh, just so I can see what I think about it as a, as a game designer at the end, just to think, okay, so how might this impact my point of view on designing, you know, my own game or on analyzing other games going forward? Um, it's a fine system. I'm just saying it's got a lot of different um, explicit pieces that, uh, are a lot of various explicit pieces that are different from what would be the norm nowadays and a lot of implicit assumptions that are absolutely alien to to the assumptions we would make nowadays um and again that's not bad but it's definitely takes getting used to That was me pausing for a sip. You were supposed to jump in there and say something. I realized that. And then I think I think we have hit the end of that. I agree. I I would like to uh I'd like to continue. It's it's an interesting experiment. It's an interesting sort of look uh into a, a different design and it's fun. Yeah. We and and the campaign itself is enjoyable too. Yeah. So um all right daddy we're big that's uh that's been my week i've been lots of rpging and thinking about rpgs honestly the only thing that's sticking in my brain right now is shadowrun and i don't know why goodness gracious i hate that game you hate Shadowrun? I hate it with a burning passion. Don't get don't don't get me wrong. The the setting is kind of cool. Cyberpunk, orcs, magic, whatever. Uh, the 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 setup that it's every game is a heist with a you know legwork, execution, payoff, uh, resolution, right? That great ideas. I just every time I try to play it, I. hate 
hate the I hate the actual mechanics. It it makes me want to cry every time I play. It's the most obnoxious, frustrating system I've ever played. I feel strongly about Shadowrun. It's terrible. What do you hate about the mechanics? Because that's what I was actually thinking of. Yeah, uh, the there are no interesting. Th- sorry, there doesn't appear to be interesting decisions in character creation. Character creation is too complicated for the lack of interesting decisions you have. Um, stuff's overpowered, which is great if you just want to have all the dice and throw them all. Um, and uh, when you're used to adjusting difficulties on the fly, you know, bonuses or minuses on a D6, uh, you know, a plus one is massive when you're rolling six-sided dice. Uh, which can be frustrating when you you try to do a difficult task. And instead of being, it's 10% harder, it's more like, this is 50% harder, just deal with it. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, they have a, they use a dice pool with a rule of ones. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Fuck that shit. I, I just get, get that crap out of here. Uh, critical fumbles are never and never will be fun botching is never fun uh missing is fun hitting is fun critting is fun botching is never fun uh so get that noise out of here i i just i loathe that system and on top of that it's got the common cyberpunk system problem of different completely different systems that are totally orthogonal to each other a netrunner does not interact in meat space at all and vice versa. You, or rather, you have really have to finagle your scenario so that one uh, affects the other and vice versa. Uh, just awful, awful game design for a game where you supposedly have six people sitting at a table. Yes, it's a cyberpunk trope, but that doesn't mean it's a good part of the game. Whew. Thank you for letting me get that off my chest. I didn't realize I had that pent up. We're going to have to do a language warning in the middle of the show. Warning, <laughs> Shadowrun. Stupid-ass um, game. So, tell me your thoughts about Shadowrun in this system. What's on your mind? Um, The Shatterin system is a little bit wonky because of the D6 thing. But the D6 system never bothered me. I just kind of took it for what it was and played it. And because I liked the setting so much, I just rolled with the game system and you know, played with it as it was. Um, I, uh, hacking is always difficult in any game where it figures majorly. It's always difficult to have um, 
have a hacker trying to do things at the same time as everybody else, or just have a hacker, what you basically have to do is have the hacker go and do his thing and then get back to the party. You know, it's basically the same problem you face when, uh, when you have a character who has to go off and do their own thing with whatever it is, you know, they want to go and talk to a different contact that nobody else can be there for. Or, and I'm thinking like in D and D they're, uh, they're part of the King's bodyguard. So they have to go off and talk to the King alone or, um, they're part of the wizards, you know, council so they have to go and talk to the council by themselves it just it is what it is it's not great but you know it takes them away from the party and the gm just has to deal with that um and only in specific cases for specific reasons and i haven't seen a lot of people come up with good ways to do it um brag 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 other than me <laughs> um yeah we did all right and you know for big secret project there's solid in-world reasons in the design of a lot of things the campaign world setting which rolls down to the game world play why it's not all split up and why players why the hacking of various things um involves the entire party instead of just the hacker and it makes everything more interesting mm -hmm. um so if you can build that into your world and that was the number one goal with um i mean that was a, a main goal was to figure out how to do that and it took me like i was working on it off and on for a couple decades um but I finally got it, and it's great. And so that's a little gem I put on the shelf, and it's incorporated there. And I've gone back and looked at it a couple of times, and it works. So when things get finished, it'll be there, and I think people will really enjoy it in play and in, uh, in stories of the setting, because it makes sense. Um, but for Shadowrun, it just is what it is, and you kind of have to roll with it. Yeah, I think I think you hit upon the a a good way to implement it, which is to make it integral to the what's happening in Meat Space. Shadowrun opted to go with this really clever and inventive mini game. Same thing with Cyberpunk 2020, actually, and. Uh, yeah, you you get that problem. You you don't want you're not going to spend an hour with dealing with one guy. 
taking a bunch of actions that takes place in you know 30 seconds of of uh, in-game time i mean I, I i guess unless it's a pizza break right but yeah you you really need to make it you need to be able to get everybody involved or just about everybody involved hmm but yeah shadowrun sucks just want to, um, just want to reiterate that see and i love shadowrun i always want to play shadowrun <laughs> i've never gotten to play enough shadowrun have you tried a shadowrun game in different game systems or you just Got to stick with what they have the with their existing systems. Um, I don't know anybody who's run a Shadowrun game in another system. And I've never tried to run Shadowrun in another system. And I'm kind of at a point right now where I don't have time or headspace to run a game. Uh... So, who has time anymore? I was trying to think what, uh, you can yep. reduce the notion of Shadowrun's campaign setting to a really silly statement. But at the same time, they worked really hard on how they rolled it all together. Um, okay, I, I, I'm listening. Well, it wasn't just like... They decided to take magic and technology and make the magic kind of an organic system. And, and this is where the this is where different mechanics, and this is this is why I love the Shatteron system, is it demonstrates how different mechanics, different dice, make it easy to do different things that would be hard to do in another system with another type of mechanic. D&D, um, &D, with its class system, makes it easy to do things that would be hard to do in another system with different mechanics. And there are always trade-offs with that. In Shadowrun, let's take magic for a second. You have, mages have what they call a magic pool, which is the general magical energy they have about them. They can add dice from the magic pool to their skill roll to cast a spell better, which means they'll take less drain from it, uh, 
or do more damage with it. Um, or they can save dice from their magic pool to defend the entire party against incoming spells from an enemy so that everybody takes less damage from that enemy's spell. And all you have to do to decide is just divvy it up. You have a pool of dice in front of you. Okay, I'm going to put three dice onto rolling for this uh, spell I'm casting, and I'll keep two dice back for defense. It's real easy, right? Mm -hmm. You just move the dice left, you move the dice right. You don't have to write anything down. Whereas if you were in uh, a skill-based game like Torg, you'd have to mark it down. Like, okay, here's three hatches over here, three hatches over there. And it'd just be on the paper. And so you'd you know mark up an entire paper. It'd be kind of annoying, and you'd be going through paper all the time. The setup of the dice of Shadowrun, rolling multiple dice like that, makes it really easy to implement this organic, nebulous kind of magic that would be difficult to do or much less convenient to do in any other, uh, any other system. Um, and that's just a reflection of the dice they chose. With combat, you have a combat pool. And you can allocate dice towards attack or defense. And you can say, okay, I'll take my combat pool of six dice. I'll put two dice on attack. That'll augment my attack. And it'll mean I'll hit better and do more damage. And I'll keep four dice back for defense for when the next guy tries to attack me. And again, all you have to do is physically move the dice on the table. It's real easy. Annoying to do in other systems, very easy to do in Shadowrun because of the multiple dice. Um, and you don't have to keep tallies on a sheet or anything like that. This is what I say about Traveler. I want to keep playing Traveler until I understand it well enough to appreciate what the system brings to the table, what the system allows you to do that is difficult to do in other systems. I want to know the mechanics well enough to understand their strengths and weaknesses because I've gotten to know AD&D well enough to know the strengths and weaknesses of, excuse me, classes and things like that. I've gotten to know skill-based systems to understand the strengths and weaknesses of what uh, uh, allocating points to different skills and how that works. I understand the Shadowrun system well enough to know how, uh, what the dice pools and the other various internal mechanics of the system do to understand what strengths and weaknesses they bring to the table. And so I want to keep playing Classic Traveler until I understand uh, well enough how to do that. Um, and so that's why I, I love the Shadowrun system is I, I, I know it well enough to know Okay, here's how it works, and here's the unique things it can do with its setup that nobody else can do. 
because they just function differently. And it doesn't make them better or worse. It just means that they function differently because of the mechanics in the setup. Hmm. Um, so, so it's more of an academic thing for you. Yeah. Um, so Shadowrun, their magic system is organic. Um, by which I mean it's fluid because of the multiple dice you can divvy about. And being organic, it's completely separate from the cybernetic technological side of things. If you get cyberware added, it's harder for magic to heal you. The more cyberware, the harder it is to be healed. Um, the more magic you get, the harder it is to cast spells and to resist drain. Um, there's this complete disconnect between the two. Whereas if you had a GURPS setting like that, um, you know, something like GURPS Technomancer, but with, I think, TL9, Tech Level 9 is cyberware. It might be Tech Level 10. I'm sorry for you GURPS uh, fans. Um, and... Uh, Magic can be cast on cyberware, and you can have, you know, a piece of cyberware that's basically a magic wand. Um, there is no division between uh, technology and magic in GURPS, in, in default GURPS. You can always set it up so that there is. I mean, it's, it's GURPS. That's what GURPS is for. But in default GURPS, um, yes, tech level nine, I was right. <laughs> um, but it's not set up like Shadowrun is now could you use another game system for Shadowrun yes but it would always stumble over the fact that you're not using dice pools and because you're not using dice pools you're not really going to be able to emulate all the feel of Shadowrun magic. Now that may be good, that may be bad, that may not be a um, that may not be a necessary aspect of the game for you. You may not be missing anything. Um, but it's like Earth Dawn. Uh, Earth Dawn has a very complicated a series of here's a numeric value, here's the equivalent in dice pools. Mm -hmm. Here's, you know, the lowest is 2D, is like 1D4, and then you get up to 2D4, 1D4 plus 1D6, 1D4 plus 1D8, 1D4, blah, 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 blah. Um, and you can't really emulate Earth Dawn using, say, 
AD&D mechanics and making them classes instead of uh, what Earth Dawn has. It's just not going to work the same. So, good or bad, all game systems have quirks. And no game system is perfect at emulating everything. And what the game system emulates has a big effect on how the in-world events turn out. How they feel like, how they act like. Um, and so Torg's mechanics have a very distinct uh, influence on how events in-world occur and what the characters expect to happen and what actually do happen, what the players expect to happen. GURPS, the same. You know, AD&D, absolutely the same. Earth Dawn, Shadowrun. Um, you go along the line, the game mechanics as they're set up absolutely have an effect on... Uh, on what happens, and no game system is really great for emulating uh, everything about another game. Uh, in fact, that's what house rules are supposed to do. You change house rules so that the events will be different, so that things will happen differently, and you change systems so that they will be different because you want them to be different, because you want them to happen differently. Um, you know, you decide to play, uh, instead of AD&D, you decide to play GURPS fantasy um, because you want the GURPS system and you want them to happen differently and you want to use GURPS martial arts in your fantasy instead of uh, AD&D's uh, system. And, you know, you want to use ICE and run... Uh, cyberspace instead of running Cyberpunk 2020 or running uh, GURPS Cyberpunk or, you know, running D20 Modern or D20 Modern Cyberpunk uh, setting by, I think Mongoose did it, the Cyberpunk book for D20. Um, that's what changing systems does for you. It allows you to run a different system for things to work differently. Uh, so, yeah, you use different systems because you want things to run differently. So that's why you would use a different system in Shadowrun. Just know you can do that, and that's fine, because you want things to run differently. You don't want to deal with, you know, the dice pools and re-rolling and things like that. It's just if you do... There's going to be some parts of Shadowrun that you're going to lose. Um, and you'll need to figure out if uh, figure out how, you know, if you want to keep those, how to keep those. And I've done some thinking about Shadowrun. I thought, okay, how would you do Shadowrun in another game system? And one of the ways you could do it is to borrow a mechanic for from Deadlands. Just have a stack of chips, like poker chips or smaller chips, and that serves as a pseudo-dice pool. 
Um, or in, instead of dice, they're just bonuses. So let's say you have a stack of six chips and you say, okay, I want to uh, allocate three points to casting my spell. So you drop three chips into casting and you leave three chips for defense. And those three chips under casting are a plus three to the roll. And the three chips for defense, you just leave hanging around in case somebody casts a spell at you. Is that possible? Sure, that's possible. Uh, and it's better than making tick marks on a piece of paper. I've thought about it. Um, I've played around with doing it. I've never actually run it in play. Um, but that's doable. Um, so yeah, you could do things with Shatter on another game system, and that's one way to emulate certain things. Just some thoughts. I do a lot of thinking about game systems and switching between them and picking different mechanics and, you know... Why would you make this choice versus that choice? What strengths does it bring? How would it impact the game system? What weaknesses do it does it bring? Yeah, I I was just letting you go because you were on a <laughs> roll there. It's it's a good idea. I mean to at, to risk oversimplifying it a lot, you really have to consider the game mechanics and their effect on the way people interact with the game. And just because Shadowrun's a garbage system uh, doesn't mean that there aren't things you can learn from it. And uh, there's lots of good stuff out there. Not everything does everything right or well. Um, I think what I, the, what I took away from your thoughts was that you also can't necessarily fit them all together. There is no uber game that does everything yeah gerbs does quote unquote everything but miss me with that all right terrible idea gerbs gerbs does everything in a gerbs way which is fine gerbs uh has some really solid ideas but it does things in a very quirky way that's a very uniquely gerbs way um and that's not bad i'm not saying that as uh as an insult, but you have to really be able to hang with the GURPS way if you want to do it GURPS. GURPS is kind of intimidating and unapproachable in a lot of ways. And then people will come along and say, oh yeah, but all you need to do is chop out this and chop out that. And you're like, dude, I'm down. I understand. But man, uh, at least GURPS third edition, uh, which is the one I have because Ever since I bought a lot of GURPS, I haven't had the money to buy a lot of GURPS 4th edition. It did not do a good job of presenting a chopped down GURPS that you could just pick up easily and roll. <laughs> it's a shame. Um, yeah, uh, and Martin Matthew Martin says this, Universal Systems, GURPS, Hero, Bessem, Savage Worlds can do quote-unquote everything, but they'll always bring their own flavor to it. Um, and the same goes for something like um, like Torg or whatever. They, they make it so you can play. 
things from any genre in the same system, but in so doing, they have to build things in a somewhat quirky way. Um, in universal, in universalizing everything, they make things somewhat quirky. And you just have to put up with the quirkiness of it. And, and they're all quirky in their own different ways. Uh, some are quirky in, in approachable ways, and some are quirky in ways that really aren't that bad, but make, you know, normies go screaming. Like Torg's big quirkiness was that it used the metric system. And so a lot of regular people just went running, screaming for the hills. And so the core audience for Torg became engineers and uh, scientists. It's a multi-genre game about other realities of different genres invading Earth, about a fantasy world invading Earth, and a cyberpunk world invading Earth, and a horror world invading Earth. And the core audience, the biggest, longest-lasting audience. Oh, and it also had a, it had a, uh, like many superhero games, it had a exponential chart. Uh, so that, you know, you had a scale that you could put the main cannon of the Death Star on and the toughness of a planet on while also having, you know, the strength of an Anton and stuff. And so between the exponential chart and the uh, standard uh, measurements, it was a game that really appealed to engineers and scientists. And so it was a game built to where a magician could throw fireballs at a cyborg while a superhero flew around throwing lightning bolts. Uh, and a vampire uh, came out of the mist. And that game had a primary fan base of engineers. Go figure. Nerds. So, it was, it unfortunately had a niche appeal just because of what was kind of a very necessary design choice or at least a common design choice at the time most of your superhero game systems made that design choice or many of them did um and in order to do the game radically different if you change that one design choice everything about the game has to change um the entire game breaks down, and you're basically designing a different game from that point forward. Uh, because everything that you see, whether you realize it or not, uh, is a consequence of or derives from that one single design choice. 
that's another part of game design. If you want to do game design, I'm talking tabletop game design, is you have to understand uh, cascade consequences. How one design choice has a cascade of consequences. Uh, and you and I were talking about this a couple weeks ago in connection with something that we can't talk about this something but you were making the point that they have made one design choice and that one design choice has a lot of consequences and all of their other design choices are just trying to compensate for that one original bad design choice mm -hmm. um and i don't think towards was bad but i definitely think it definitely had an impact on everything else and everything else is a consequence of it. Um, so yeah, it's just astonishing how powerful design choices are. Um, and you can see that once you've done some game design, uh, a thorough game design, in-depth game design, and just seeing how one minor design choice has ripple effects across everything else you've done, um, it's astonishing. It's mind-blowing, uh, especially when you realize that all the – here's how you know a mechanic is a bad idea. If all of the consequences of that mechanic are bad – then you need to go back and rethink it and take it out. If you spend all of your time compensating for it with weak mechanics, then you need to go back and take it out because it is absolutely, it should not be in your game. That reminds me of another test, a mechanics test. This, uh, this wisdom is from video games development, but I think it applies to any kind of tabletop RPG board game, whatever. Hand it to a 15-year-old boy. <laughs> or, or, or imagine, imagine giving your game or your prototype or whatever to a 15-year-old boy. Because you know what? If it's crap, he's going to let you know right away <laughs> if it's fun or not. So if you don't have any 15-year-old boys around, think, hmm, how would 15-year-old me react to this game or this mechanic? Case in point, rule of ones. Not fun. Never fun. That was it. That's that's the tweet. <laughs> Anyway, I think we're well out of time, DW. It has been great uh, picking your brain on RPG design. What do you say? Sure. We don't talk about RPG design very much, but we've done it a few times. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's fun. I like talking about RPG design every now and then. Anything else you want to talk about before we sign off for today? Uh, we need to tell them about the next two weeks. Next two weeks, yes. Uh, next week I'm out of town. The week after is Thanksgiving, so there's no uh, no uh, reason to think that we're going to have a show. 
I'll be too busy gorging myself on turkey or something. Yep, it's family week. Family week. So it's going to be quiet around these parts for a little while. Uh, but next week I'm going to be off gaming, so I don't care. In real life, in person, face in to face. In person, face to face. And you know what? Let the record show, in case someone wants to bring this up in court later, I'm not quarantining myself any, on either end of the trip. I'm going and meeting people and not quarantining. I may not even wear a mask. Bold, right? Bold. All right, I think that's it. I'm done. Thanks so much for hanging out with me, and I uh, appreciate everybody talking in the chat. Uh, it's always good to have you guys live, and uh, I hope everybody listening to later really enjoyed the thoughtful conversation about our favorite hobby. Thanks, Daddy Warpig. It's all yours now. Uh, I want to thank everyone who uh, showed up live and participated in the chat. I also want to thank everyone who will listen later. You can catch us on youtube.com slash geekgab. That's youtube.com slash geekgab. We are here just about every week, uh, just about this time. And obviously, we have to say just about because we're going to be gone for the next two. Sip of water before we close the show out. You can also catch us on soundcloud.com, on the Google Play Store, and the Apple iTunes Store. So you can listen to us on the device of your choice. We are signing out for today. But don't you worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.